Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked on Lakers for Tuesday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Andy, the Lakers are talking about why the defense seems to be getting a little bit better. It starts with attention to detail from guys like Russell Westbrook. We'll explain next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to thank everyone for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday. We get this thing up bright and early for everyone. So if you're a night owl, working the overnight shift, whatever it might be, you can get in on uh, today's episode as fast as you can. I uh, want to let you know as well that today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and let them uh, tell them that Locked On sent you. Um, so we we talked a little bit about it on Monday's show, the the increasing importance of Avery Bradley. Um, we learned a few things about uh, guys maybe getting back into the lineup for the Lakers that could impact the whole Bradley story and what it means if he sticks around. We'll talk about that. But first, Andy, Monday in El Segundo, the Lakers started to break down a little bit of why maybe kind of sort of they could be turning a corner defensively. Um, it started in the second half, particularly the fourth quarter of the Cleveland game on Friday. And then obviously the Lakers played one of their best defensive games on Sunday against the Houston Rockets. Low bar to clear. Yeah, they're a team in finger quotes. <laughs> um, but it, it Westbrook, uh, when he met with the media, said something that I thought was a couple things that I thought were, were interesting. He talked a little bit about, um, you know, buy-in and guys like you know sticking to the principles and this and that but he also talked about how like in previous incarnations of himself defensively he's been a bit of a center fielder a gambler a freelancer um those things seem to me to be synonyms andy for not paying attention to detail like, yeah i mean look it, a guy like westbrook's always had the athletic ability the basketball intelligence all that different stuff like where if he had wanted to he could have been a high-end defender. And earlier in his career, it actually looked like he was kind of on that route. But like, it, it was interesting to hear him just sort of tacitly acknowledge, like, yeah, you know, I, I've gone off script at times, basically, and this is really the unsaid part, because I'm Russell fucking Westbrook and they'll let me <laughs> because, you know, are, are you going to stop me? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we covered Kobe for 10 years. You know, Kobe had the... You know, license to pretty much do whatever he wanted on the court for the overwhelming majority of his career that resulted in really good things, a Hall of Fame career, five championships, et cetera. At times, it meant Kobe doing whatever the hell he wanted to the detriment of the team. And, and by the way, right. that is not unique to Russell Westbrook. That is not unique to Kobe Bryant. That is not unique to pretty much any star player. Like it, It's very rare where you get the guys like a Tim Duncan or a Steve Nash or a Steph Curry, like the guys who really don't seem to take license as superstars or really don't seem to, to freelance and take advantage of, you know, just because you can, like that sort of thing. But like, you know, I was thinking about with like the idea of Westbrook gambling, like the literal definition of it, like, you know, I like to gamble. I like to play cards. I used to bet more on sports and stuff like that before I had a child and less disposable income. But early on, when I did all of this stuff, I used to like to chase, you know, cards mm -hmm. or chase a hit or, you know, chase a five-team parlay in the same way that Russell Westbrook 
you know, like to chase steals. Well, it's because it's fun. Yes. Because like, the, the, <laughs> <rush, exciting. laughs> the rush of hitting the thing that you're not supposed to do, that, you know, doing, it's like anything else, doing the thing that you're not supposed to do and getting away with it and, and even better being rewarded for it is way more fun than, you know, just doing it the way you're yeah. supposed to. But it's then, more you fun know, than being Tim, Tim Duncan. Along the lines, yeah, I mean, he was incredible. His career, his career was, I'm sure, fun in the sense that it was rewarding, very lucrative. He became an icon in a city, et cetera. Right, it, not, there, there's, there's upside. Sure, <laughs> but the, the, it's not without the upside. The pure fun factor with Tim right. Duncan's career compared to, say, like Kobe's, LeBron's, Russ's, et cetera, was lacking. But like with the gambling um, you know, example that I was talking about, the more I started playing poker and wanting to be good at it, the more... I actually wanted to win these sports bets. Mm -hmm. I started realizing like there's a way to do this. There's an actual system and a structure to playing poker. Like there's a difference uh, playing cash games versus playing in a tournament. Like there's all these different structures. And Westbrook is really talking about the structure of their defensive system and, and how right. know, some of those gambles could lead to a really good, a really great steal and the opportunity for a transition basket. But sometimes it just screws up your defense. Well, there's a reason that, you know, in terms of how people talk about defense and talk about like steals is a very de-emphasized thing. Now, for 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 right, but they talk about deflections. They talk about a lot of other things, but just straight steals because steal hunting, like block hunting, can be detrimental to your structure. And, you know, it, it's one thing like you, you bring up this example a lot, Andy, when we talk about stuff like, you know, as, as you know, people don't know, Andy he was a. Uh, a theater major at USC. It was in an improv group when he moved out to LA. Like f gambling, freelancing, improvising, those are all things that you can do if the existing structure around you is strong. Like, yes, I'm, I've played defense with Russell Westbrook two, three years, whatever. I know where he's going to go. He, we, we got these things covered. And I can see if he, if he goes and does this, I can anticipate it and I can do B and C because he's going to do A. Um, that's not what they're doing right now. It's like they don't have the underlying structure to then go and freelance. What the kind of improvising that, that Westbrook was talking about on Monday at practice um, that he got away with, that he used to do, that you were talking about with Kobe, particularly later in his career, was the, I just don't want to do the thing that I'm supposed <laughs> to do. Yeah. Kind of freelancing. That was the, uh, no, I understand what you're asking of me I'm going to do that instead because I don't want to do that thing probably because it's a lot of work or it's harder or whatever. I'm tired from carrying an offensive load. Right, all, right. all these different reasons. Right. But but here's the thing about that. It's like, you know, carrying an offense, like what th that's on the coach to be like, I'm not going to ask you to do A, B, and C. Don't just write. So, you know, that from Westbrook and him saying essentially like, yeah, I really can't do that anymore because you know frank vogel when he got on was asked about why do you think things have gotten a little bit better um and he talked about want and he talked about attention to detail and one of the things that that stuck out to me was when he said look like guys like russ ad to some extent certainly lebron have had players around them that will do a lot of the dirty work um, that will do some and pick up some of the slack if they don't want to do X, Y, and Z, in part maybe probably because they are carrying a massive yeah. offensive load. Um, but that said, the Lakers traded away most of those dudes. 
mm-hmm. or they let or or they they left in free agency or whatever it might be. And so he said, like Russ, AD, LeBron, they got to do a lot of that themselves this year. Um, and it's a change. And we saw, you know, he, LeBron was very engaged against the, as you would put it, finger quotes team, the Houston Rockets, uh, on Sunday night. But like when he is, he was engaged uh, against who who they play opening night was it Phoenix. Opening night, they played the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors. Like, he was super engaged in that game defensively. Um, It makes a huge difference. Like, you can tell. Uh, And so, like, those guys, though, the the ask is different this year. The one thing, before we move on, the the thing that makes me worry, though, Ben, is the same question I've asked a couple times. If they don't have the guys to do the dirty work, are you are we are we all setting ourselves up to be in a place where LeBron, AD, and Westbrook are then asked to do too much defensively, given what they then have to do offensively? Well, I mean, part of the problem they have, I think, is the personnel they have, whether you're defining their defensive responsibilities as sort of more tangible, whether they're more dirty work, whatever you whatever you want to say that those responsibilities are, they don't have the guys to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's really going to be the problem. Like, you know, there's certain defensive roles, you know, like Meta World Peace in his prime. You know, as much as Meta was a tough guy who would, you know, definitely play physical, he he would do things that would be, I think, labeled dirty work. Meta World Peace in his prime, you know, back when he was Ron Artest, that was not a guy in a dirty work defensive role. That was a guy starring defensive role. Mm-hmm. So all of right. these things are not created equally. Sure. But the, the concern you would have with these Lakers, and maybe it changes a little bit full strength, maybe it changes a little bit depending on you know how these minutes are distributed, but they just don't have the personnel to do it defensively, no matter how you define the responsibilities. All right. So tangential, not even really tangential, to kind of almost directly related to this conversation is the question of the starting lineup and why Frank Vogel went the way he did. Who's going to be in it? We have some injury updates that we can bring in. And obviously, Avery Bradley inserted into Sunday's starting lineup uh, becomes a very relevant conversation both for that, but also what happens to the Lakers rotation if Bradley sticks? Because the presumption it was when they signed him that he'd be gone in two months. That may not be true anymore, and the, you know, the effects of that for the rest of the rotation are big. We'll talk about it next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by Prize Picks. Hey, NBA fanatics, have you heard about Prize Picks? The daily fantasy made easy. Prize Picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator, and offers all the superstars as well as the bench players, only recording a handful of minutes in each game. Everyone that deposits and uses the NBA Promo code, promo code NBA, will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks. Pick two to five players over and under on each of their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. Prize picks allowed mix picked entries. Like you can take the over on LeBron, whatever statistics, combined with the under on whatever, say, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, statistics. You can just combine all these different sports. It makes it a lot of fun and use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. It's safe. It offers fast withdrawals, so don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com. Use the promo code NBA. Promo code NBA. Go to the App Store today. Prize Picks, your daily fantasy made easy. So Avery Bradley moves into the starting lineup on Sunday. Um, this after Frank Vogel saying that he liked the way that the the big three with Bazemore and Bradley looked in the fourth quarter against uh, Cleveland on Friday. 
we it's gonna be a while before everything we say is not predicated with small sample size theater. But the the early results of this were very positive. Obviously, the game on on Sunday, but it, it's really compared particularly to the starting lineup that they had um, that they've run the most often with you know Westbrook, the big three, DJ and Bazemore. Uh, that group has a ne- net rating of ne- negative fourteen. Uh, last night's starting lineup. In the, all the minutes they've played together are above water at 2.2, uh, which for this team is pretty good. If Bradley starts, this is not necessarily because he wasn't on the team in the preseason. The lineup that we anticipated the Lakers go small, most people thought it'd be like Baysmore and Ariza or Ellington and Ariza. Ellington um, practicing with the G League on Monday could be active on uh, Tuesday's game, uh, Frank Vogel said. Uh, but getting very close, if nothing else, Kendrick Nunn probably still a week or two away. THT uh, had his stitches removed. That's right. So he's getting closer as well. Um, first of all, I'll ask two questions. Is this, let's say when everybody gets back, if Vogel sort of settles on Avery Bradley with Bazemore and then does the big three, and that's the AD at the five starting lineup, is that the one that you would choose it, given the personnel that they have? It's an interesting question. I mean, like with, with somebody like Avery Bradley, for example, like you know, the the idea that he was going to end up, you know, just around for a couple months and then cut before his contract would be theoretically guaranteed. I think, you know, that that calculus may have changed in part because of the other injuries that are out there. So his opportunities may have just presented themselves for sure um, more. It also cannot be overstated. Vogel loves Avery Bradley. Loves him. I remember yes. during Vogel's first season with the Lakers, he was talking about before the season began how other than LeBron and AD, it was an open competition for starting at every other position. And you could tell like maybe 30 minutes after he said that on opening day, one of those dudes was Avery Bradley. Like he <laughs> right. already locked up his spot. Like Vogel kept trying to pre- trying to like present this like Bradley was in some open competition with other guys. And it turned out that he he beat out KCP for, uh, for that spot. But like Vo- Avery Bradley is a Vogel kind of guy. Like he is a defense first player. He is a hustling defender on top of it. You know, he's a defend you at 94 feet type of defender, but he's also, you know, he is, all- Andy? Andy, he's a hard hat kind of guy. He is. He, Frank Vogel likes hard hat people. He's a hard hat player who uh, brings his lunch pail to work. That's, oh, yes. And he, you know, he has that uh, cylinder thermos of coffee um, <laughs> that he refills out at the food truck. He insists on punching in and punching out at the facility, even though they don't have a punch card system. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those, it's not one of those fancy food trucks. This is like a grubby one. Like, the, right. you know, they, they, they mostly just sell like sandwiches and a bread. Pretty, yeah. Pretty shitty breakfast or burrito. The coffee. Coffee's not great, but Avery Bradley fills that thing up to the rim because that's the type of coffee that works for a hard hat lunch pail guy mm-hmm. like him. Um, that's who Vogel loves. Yes. So, and, and also, I think what may be working in Avery Bradley's favor is some of the concerns that you had about this team defensively heading into the season, you know, before you start seeing everybody out on the court. They can be more theoretical. We're now seven games in. They're a bit more actualized. So the idea of, okay, Avery Bradley may have a specific role and need on this team, that might be a little more tangible now. 
It's it's funny to me because remember you remember when we when they signed Avery Bradley and we were doing the we were working at the Athletic at the time writing up you know the analysis and this and that whatever like he he is has always been by reputation a better defender than he has been by stats and so it really depends on which metric you want to look at and then which types of things that you value more as a coach than as a person like us because I agree with you it is. 100% obvious. Vogel loves Bradley. He wants to have like a million of his babies. Um, and it's, it's, I, I don't know if that's good or bad, but what I do think it, it coaches like reliability. And even if the guy that they're choosing isn't the best person for it, like maybe somebody else could be better, but if they, if there's a wider variance in what they're going to give you, coaches don't want that. Particularly, I think, a coach of this team where there is so much variance. There are so many players and so many guys and combinations. It, it's it's really hard to manage. So if you can find 20 minutes of stability there, I, the, the, I, I understand why he would go that way, even if I'm not 100% convinced that Avery Bradley really is the great individual defender or whatever it might be that he's talking about. The other question, though, Andy, is well, who really, doesn't really play quick, if... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Really quick, though. I mean, it should be pointed out that this is something in terms of Bradley's reputation that goes beyond just Frank Vogel's perception of it or, you know, whatever whatever you think of defensive metrics and even the people who, you know, and you and I are people that use them to try to inform ourselves. But most people will acknowledge defensive metrics are imperfect and they are difficult. Correct. Yes. They absolutely. are difficult to quantify in ways that offensive ones are. The offensive ones are much more just this is what they are, do with the information what you will. One thing, though, that we did see during that first season uh, with the Lakers and Avery Bradley is that it's not just Frank Vogel, it's his teammates. Because remember, yes. the first time he got injured, the the Lakers, they all took it upon themselves and they outwardly talked about how they made it a team goal to match Avery Bradley's intensity, to match his energy, to match the stuff that he brought to them. So even if, say, you think that he may not be quite the individual reputation um, or individual defender of his reputation, or if you looked at that first team and thought, you know, I don't know how much better he really is than, say, Danny Green, KCP, Alex Caruso, on this team, he may damn well, I mean, not even maybe, I think he is the best defender of any guard they have. Well, again, he is the most sizable. He is the most reliable one that they have. I mean, like he's not even forget reliable. He's best by any standard. I mean, I think out sure predictable, reliable, whatever uh, bull you want to use. So, but who gets squeezed? So, because we talked about this, like you know, before Avery Bradley arrived, one of the big things we were thinking about with Malik Monk, for example, is not. Good signing, bad signing. Objectively speaking, great signing. Malik Monk at the minimum. There's what's the downside? It's a, signing. It's a great signing. I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> I don't know how much he's going to play because it depends on his shooting. It depends on his defense. And there were realistic scenarios where he comes and shoots the lights out and plays a ton and realistic scenarios where he ends up getting squeezed and doesn't play much at all. This was before Bradley arrived. If Bradley plays 20 minutes a night, 18, 15 minutes a night, particularly, you know, if they use centers more and that squeezes them even more. Exactly what I was going to say. Who else doesn't play? Because THT is going to come back. None's going to come back. Now you're talking about two guys who aren't going to play. I think what they're going to look to do is 
take away a few minutes from a guy like Carmelo Anthony because all things being equal, you want to reduce his minutes. I mean, he's been really, really good to open the season, but I, I could see the idea of wanting to make sure that, you know, less is more, that sort of thing. Like, you know, after a while, depending that much on Carmelo Anthony at this stage of his career, Not the returns idea. could be diminishing. Yeah. Although, again, he's been terrific. He's been really, really good. He's a leg- he's, he's early on a legit six-man-of-the-year candidate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so cool. Know, if, if there's a way to try to steal a few minutes away from LeBron, steal a few minutes away from Westbrook, I mean, you, you'll, look to, you'll look to cut down minutes from guys. That being said, you know, especially if they stay big, I think Malik Monk is absolutely a candidate to get squeezed because if other guys are making shots, you're going to start breaking the tie by who are better defenders out there. Because Bazemore is going to play. Yes, Bazemore is absolutely going to play. I think Kendrick Nunn, when he comes in, who even before Bradley was there, was a candidate to take away a lot of those minutes or make Monk on the outside of the rotation. You know, you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to figure out THT. You know, Ariza is going to, I think, uh, take away some of Melo's minutes. Shot. Yeah. yeah. And Ellington, so- but then, and Ellington is another guy that we weren't sure. Ellington could play a ton or he could play zero. He could go, yeah. we could, you could miss him for weeks. But you know, this is where it's really beneficial that Rajon Rondo clearly meant it when he said, my role is I may play zero minutes. I may play 48 minutes. I've been told that's what it is. I don't care because he seems to not care at all. You watch him on the bench. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's really into it. He's in guys' ears in a good way. And you need guys like that to be truly accepting of their roles because the the depth of this team is made up with guys that, for better or for worse, there's not a big pecking order. Like there's there once you get past the big three, there you can't look at them and go, okay, well, four is clearly this guy. Five. Yeah, everybody is clearly basically this guy. pecks. Everybody pecks at the same level at that right, point. Right. Exactly. For better or for worse. I mean, it, it, best case scenario, it means that there's not really a big drop off. You know, when you go from like four to nine, you know, glass half empty view of this is it means some dudes are going to be pissed off that they should be playing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, pecking orders and guys accepting roles and things like that, Carmelo Anthony was talking about that uh, after Sunday's game and uh, people commenting on Carmelo's comments about his willingness to fit in. We will talk about all of that next. Ooh, what was that sound again? Ooh, I love that sound. That sound, Andy, that makes me smile. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform uh, the, the, uh, to start, run, and grow your business. And in case you didn't know, Andy, Shopify, it's a complete commerce platform that lets you do everything end-to-end. Subscription-based software allows anyone to set up an online store, sell their products. Shopify store owners can sell in uh, physical locations using Shopify POS, which I believe is point of sale. Uh, that's a point of sale app and accompanying hardware. <laughs> or something really really right. derogatory <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> shopify powers over 1.7 million businesses i wonder how they how that tested <laughs> i gotta tell you it's a that's a tough aggressive sales pitch yeah. right there. no no guys we mean point of sale 
Um, not not the other thing. Yeah, but if you don't buy from us, we think you're a POS. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, reaching customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, that's what the kids like, Pinterest, and more. It allows you to gain insights as you grow your detailed uh, business with detailed reporting and conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. So go to shopify.com slash LockedOnNBA, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash locked on NBA right now. Shopify.com slash locked on NBA. Brought to you by Bet Online back and better than ever. The new web interface for the basketball season is up and running. You got more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all basketball and football action this season. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website. Sign up today, receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code locked on to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, the postseason going on right now, NHL, boxing, UFC, right down to to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online the fastest, easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the games start. Be sure to join us for our spinoff show, Locked On Acronyms, <laughs> starting next week. Um, all right, so Carmelo Anthony, expre- who went off again, is he, he, how many threes did he have on, on Sunday? I believe five. Yeah, and he's had six in games. Like he's he's shot the ball incredibly well, over fifty two percent on the year, ninety uh, seventh percentile in terms of efficiency on on his three points. Some sort of stat there that I was reading. He's been bananas good uh, so far. Um, and in a way that I think Andy is relatively sustainable, even if some of those numbers come down, because the guys around him are perfectly tailored to helping Mello be very successful in this offense. It's, it's perfectly set up for him. Um, he said after Sunday's game, when asked about it, that like he, he's he, he's surprised that people are surprised that he's adapting this well because he's always been a very adaptable player. Um, that he's always done sort of what's asked of him. He'll bend to what's what's supposed to be done and, and so on and so forth. That is obviously not necessarily the reputation that he had, particularly as his career as a true lead option on a championship hopeful team was starting to go. That was part of the reason he ended up out of the league, I think, is people think he wouldn't accept a role. When you heard him talking about that, and we're both guys who really like Mello, yeah. Um, and think his career has been underappreciated, even when guys were picking on him uh, with his flaws and all that. What was your reaction to hearing that? Um, I think <laughs> I think it's interesting in the sense that it depends on when you're talking about his adaptability. Uh, uh, I guess coming into full fruition, like if he's if he's talking about the the two seasons that he had in Portland and this year, then yeah, he's totally right. Like. The idea that this is a new story for Carmelo Anthony in terms of adaptability, I get why he would be like, "All right, seriously, like, are we really, are we really bringing this up as a storyline again? Like, you know, are, why are you still asking me about coming off the bench? And right. you know, when did I, I start? Did it for an entire year last right. year without like, complaint? You know, it worked. Right, exactly. Like, the, like you know, it depends on the question you want to ask him. If there's something a little more nuanced to it, but just like the idea of insinuating that this is something that I would still be bucking up against. I can see why Mello would find that kind of annoying. That being said, though, if you look at the context of his whole career, 
I think there's been some stubbornness to Mello. And I think if nothing else, like during the periods of Houston and OKC and, you know, even periods with the Knicks, the issue isn't always your willingness to adapt. It's your ability to do it. Mm -hmm. Because like you can want to do something really badly, but your instincts and your habits and sometimes the way you've been enabled, you know, over the course of an incredibly successful, prolific career it can be hard to undo right. that stuff, and it's not—it's not purely about ego, even if ego plays a role. In oh, and I—and I think it was interesting to bring it back to Russ and what he was talking about at practice on Monday. Westbrook was asked about Mello, who he played with in Oklahoma City, and this was at a, you know even this was not prime Mello even then. I mean, it was a few years ago now. It gives you an idea of how long Mello's been doing this. Um, and he was said, you know, Russ. Gave, <laughs> there's a lot of similarity between the answer Russ gave about Mello and his adaptability and the answer he gave about like, you know, freelancing and gambling and doing the, the little things and attention to detail. Um, he said, you know, like, look, Mello's always been a great teammate. He's always, all of those things are completely, everybody loves who plays with Mello loves him. And he said, you know, always done what you, what's been asked of him and this and that, whatever. It just may not be stuff that people see. Okay, <laughs> but then run then, juice boxes to practice, right? I mean, like <laughs> that, that, that to me sounds a little bit like, yeah, he wasn't really interested in doing some of the stuff that, you know, might've been best for the, best for where <laughs> he, he went was above and beyond in different ways, just not the ways that were always helpful. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? Like I'm, I'm gambling, I'm gambling, I'm playing hard in defense. I'm just not doing what the coach wants me to do. I just don't want to do those other things. I mean, there was a little bit of similarity there, and but I get, I'm I'm with you. I get why Mello pushes back on this some because you're right. The last three, you know, this year including, you know, as of the, as a year, the three years have been. And here's the, the other story, really, really you know, quick. While I, I remember, I was just to say the story of him and and the and the process that he's gone through to get to the place where he can play this role with the Lakers, play what he did in Portland, is a great story. Um, and he should be congratulated for coming to it rather than, you know, criticized for struggling with it when he was much closer to his prime prime. Well, I mean, I, I think both things can be true. I mean, you can, course, you can, absolutely. you can look at Mello's career. And as you said earlier, you and I have been really big fans of Mello for his entire career. I, I've always had a soft spot for Mello, even during some of the periods in his career that were kind of controversial and stuff like that. But he had a propensity, I think, at times for getting in his own way. And, you know, like, for example, the the stint in OKC, there was a lot of attention paid for his reaction to just like the thought of him coming off the bench, which he scoffed at like it was the stupidest thing he had ever heard. And, you know, he got criticized for that. And I think rightly, like just the like the idea that it would be seemingly beneath him at the, at his stature to even consider doing something like that. I can understand why that would rub people the wrong way and create a perception. That being said, though, if you remove that one exchange between him and reporter and you look at the way he played in OKC and all the reports about him in OKC, it seemed like he actually was trying to do the things that were asked of him. You know, I think he had a difficult time adjusting to it, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily surprising when you consider the way he played for his entire career. And then having to adjust like that with, you know, two superstars like 
Russell Westbrook and Paul George, like that's right. a difficult transition. But that's not the same thing as saying, F it, man, I'm not doing it. Right. And I think it's important to note lesser players than than him have struggled with this stuff. Have you know <laughs> Lamar Odom, uh, you know, love this story. Lamar Odom when when uh Phil Jackson suggested he's gonna come off the bench and it'd be better for him, and it turned out to be a great move and all that. Yeah, he won six man of the year. He said that Phil had lost his rabbit mind. <laughs> um and it was but, just like like and then Lamar Odom what we love and was a phenomenal player is not Carmelo phenomenal Anthony. teammate. Yes, not Carmelo Anthony. Um, in terms of you know place in the league and and overall skill and and, and all that. So well, that's we, so it's it is it is when you are this good at something and you have done it in a certain way for so long. It's just I, I think people forget like it is change can be very hard and that is not unique to athletes. It is not. It is it is it is. It is something very specialized to very high achievers in whatever field that they are in. Um, you know, look at succession. Like, you know, it is change is hard. Accepting, you know, that you're not what you were is hard. Like, you know, giving up control is hard. So, you know, I, I, I get it. And I think people should, again, focus more on like, wow, he really came through on the other side and is thriving for it and could play another two or three years because of it. I think it's great. Or, I mean, if nothing else, you can just be looking to learn more from Mello about just like what was the process like for you? Have you come to enjoy it in ways you didn't expect? Stuff like that, as opposed to again, just seeming surprised by him doing right. it. And he's and he's talked about that. I mean, when he gets those questions, he really talks about because I think well, he's proud of it and he should be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, lastly, we saw this a couple of years ago with Dwight when he yep. joined when he rejoined the Lakers. You know, I know I wrote a big piece for the Athletic at the time when we were with them about how on the court, if Dwight Howard was willing to do the things that were needed of him and his back would hold up, I had no doubt in my mind that this would be a really good signing. I had a lot of doubts about whether or not he actually not just would be willing to change things that were hampering him from his first stint with the Lakers to the Rockets, to the Hawks, to the Wizards, to the teams I'm forgetting, I'm sure. I think there was a Charlotte in there at some point. But like all all, all those different stops that were problematic. A, is he willing to do it? B, is he actually capable yep. of doing it? And it turned it? out. And it turned out to be great. And, and yep. right now, Carmelo Anthony is a legit six-man-of-the-year candidate, and I hope it keeps up. Um, anyway, so uh, Tuesday night, the Lakers, that's again Houston. We're doing this. Yes, it is. We're going to do this again, and hopefully they'll, they'll have the same result. Uh, some more interesting games coming up against this part of the schedule that we thought was going to be a little easier than I think it might turn out to be. Chicago's on there. They've been pretty competent. Uh, you know, we see the Knicks. Uh, they've been quite good. Hornets. So some Hornets have been much Heat. better than expected. The Heat. So a lot of interesting games coming up. Uh, make sure to subscribe to Locked on Lakers on YouTube. Uh, another way to get the podcast, usually a little early on a on a non-game night. You'll get it a couple hours early usually. We'll get that up for you. And uh, again, thank you so much for making it your first listen of every day. We'll see everyone on Wednesday.